Hello, and welcome back to the HSPAN podcast, your go-to podcast for longevity policy discussions. I'm your host, Dylan Livingston. Today, I am sitting down with A4LI's chair of the board, Sonia Arison. Sonia is the founder of 100 Plus Capital, one of the leading investment firms in longevity science and research in the country. Sonia has played a crucial role in the advancement of longevity science. In this episode, we discuss what is going on with A4LI, as well as the role policymaking plays in the longevity space. With all that said, let's get into it. Live long and prosper. All right. Thank you for joining us, Sonia. For everybody who doesn't know, we are being joined by Sonia Arison, founder of 100 Plus Capital and the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives, chair of the board. So, Sonia, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of take our shoes off, relax, and kind of discuss things in a nice, relaxed manner. So let you know, let's get the creative juices flowing here. So this is going to go out to our audience, and I'm sure they all want to hear your backstory because you know you definitely have an interesting one coming from a public policy background. Can you kind of discuss what got you interested in longevity? You know, who inspired you to you know, not only get involved with longevity, but, you know, on the, on the, on the policy side, you know, what, what got you inspired to get involved in that angle? Right. Yes. I started my career in public policy and I came to the United States to work at a public policy think tank in San Francisco. I'm originally Canadian and worked there for a decade, directing the Center for Technology Studies at the Pacific Research Institute. You know, it was around the year 2000, I think, that Newt Gingrich was uh, in Congress and was talking about nanotechnology and how it was going to change the world. And, you know, I saw that. And since I was directing this public policy uh, tech section, I thought, well, you know, we should we should investigate nanotech and see what kind of public policy issues there might be around nanotech. And so I was looking at the legislation that Gingrich was interested in. And I, I started started digging into nanotechnology and and was really blown away. I couldn't believe all the amazing things that were happening in nanotechnology, that's the science of the very, very small. And yep. the things like smart bombs to kill cancer and, you know, tiny, tiny molecular scissors and like all of all these really cool things that promise to make humans healthier for longer periods of time. And uh, so once I started investigating nanotech, I, I realized, well, you know, there's a bunch of other things that might be out there that could help increase human health spans. And I just really dug in and started to investigate and was just blown away by how much science there was that was, you know, on the cusp of really changing our lives. And I realized then that we were sort of on the cusp of a revolution in health extension. And then that just really got me excited about, about the longevity space. Well, awesome. Yeah, I'll tell a little story of my own. So, so my 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 father also got really interested in the longevity, the nanotech space, back in the early two thousands. And he, I, I remember watching him do a presentation about the new nanotechnology tie, and in front of a whole crowd, he poured a cup of coffee on his tie, and none of the, it, it was completely you know dry after. And it was that was like oh everybody. <laughs> so so yes, nanotechnology, and you know just to jump on that also, Sony. I mean you're a part of. You're you're part of the the board of Foresight Institute, which is you know kind of yes, the, you know like the first real advocacy group 
for nanotech. So, you know, can you, can you kind of talk about how you got involved with the foresight? Yeah. And so it was around that same time that I got involved with, and back then it used to be called the Foresight Institute for Nanotechnology because it really was focused on nanotechnology. But a lot of the folks there were also interested in general biotechnology because of course right. the two are linked. And yeah. And so I discovered the Foresight Institute and met Christine Peterson, who's also on the board of the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives. Yep, and yep. And a lot of the amazing scientists who were around the Foresight Institute and was just really impressed with their knowledge and their worldviews. And, and so I became a member of the Foresight Institute way back then, it was more than 20 years ago now, and went to all their meetings and, and have been involved with them ever since. And I joined their board a few years ago. And, and now, of course, the Foresight Institute is focused on more than just nanotechnology. It's focused on, uh, you know, biotech and health span and artificial intelligence and lots of right, other things. Right. Right. I mean, all of those things go hand in hand, right? Advances they in AI, do. they affect our ability to travel in space and the, our ability to travel in space, you know, affects our knowledge of human health and all that kind of stuff, right? So, you know, foresight, you know, that that's how I got kind of involved and really interested in this space too. learn, you know, following foresights, you know, talks and the content they create. So uh, foresight, I'll, I'll give you a little shout out here, Sonia and I, Good, good job, good job. So yeah, so that's all great, uh, Sonia. So you're really, you really were when I, you know, approached you about the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives. You really were the perfect person to get involved at a, at a chair level of the board. You know, just because of you know one year experience in public policy, like you you, you mentioned, but also, I mean, you you are one of the best known investors in this space too. Uh, so you know, can you can you kind of talk about what you're up to right now? What are, what are the cool things that you're doing currently? at 100 plus capital. And I believe you just started a new venture at Portfolio. Is that right? Can yeah, you kind of yeah, talk about just, all that? I just, yeah. So I started my own firm, 100 plus capital, where I angel invest in longevity and health span related companies, health extension companies. And then I am an advisor to Felicis Ventures and BioVerge, which mm-hmm. both invest in various ways in, in the biotech space. And now I've joined Portfolia as one of their lead investors on their active aging fund, their second active aging fund. And we're just getting that up and running now. And so, yeah, so I'm spending a lot of my time right now investing in the health extension space. And it's super exciting because there's so much more now, so much more activity now than there ever was before. And so, you know, things are really, really coming along. Yeah, it's, you know, it's crazy. I mean, you know, I've definitely been in this field for less time than you and, and, and most, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit of a newbie, but over the two years I've been really involved in, in the field as an active player, the amount of that, it's incredible what's been going on, you know, the investments with, with Altos Labs and, you know, all this money coming from crypto. And it's just really impressive to, to see, you know, something that was, was seen as, as kind of, you know, on the fringe, becoming more and more mainstream, not just from a, a mindset, you know, viewpoint, but also from a from a financial viewpoint, right? So I'm real excited about the future of longevity financing as well and, and you know how much money and resources and time and effort are going to go into the space too. And I'm sure you are too. Well I mean there's there's always money to be made finding people's pain points. And with longevity is literally a pain point if you're trying to, you know, get rid of things that make people sick. <laughs> right. Literal pain points. Like actually you know mm-hmm. pain, pain in the back, pain in the yeah, and all the in the organs. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. I like that. So tell us though, Sonia. So you're you because of your position as an investor and with you know with all your different ventures, you know, you kind of get to see the cutting edge 
you know, more so than, you know, even the average kind of investor in the space, even the average, you know, active person. Can you, can you give us some kind of cool technology that you've seen or, you know, you have companies that, you know, if you want to shout any companies out, should we be excited for? What, what are you excited about? Well, there's a lot to be excited about. And I think instead of talking maybe about individual companies, because there are literally so many and things change on a daily basis, you know, I think it's more productive to think about the different areas that are really exciting right now. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, one of the things that I'm super excited about is the growing possibility of testing therapies with human cells rather than animal cells. Sure. Yep. This whole field of organoids and Mm -hmm. body on a chip and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff, because like, you know, and every scientist knows this. I mean, tons and tons of rats have been cured of aging. You know, they've been (laughs) cancer. They've been cured, but but it doesn't translate from the rat to the human. And, you know, there's a reason for that. We are not rats. (laughs) And so we need a better model to test our, to test our therapies on. And so there's a lot of very exciting things happening in that sort of human cell work or even larger animal work. That's, uh, that's very, that's one area that I think is really going to help move science forward. You know, gene therapy, I think is another field that's, you know, I've been saying this for a long time. It's sort of the holy grail of everything, being able to reprogram ourselves, right? And of course, reprogramming right. Altos Labs was, is based on with their $3 billion right. they've put together. And I hope that, I hope that they make great advances, even if they're not telling everyone what they're doing. <laughs> but, you know, gene therapy has always been, you know, it, it's tough because getting the genes, getting the changes that scientists want precisely has always been kind of tough. And so there's a bunch of different groups who are working on making gene therapy better and more effective and quicker. And I I just see a lot of different companies working on this problem. And so I'm optimistic that gene therapy techniques will get better in the near term. And I think that will really have a big impact on what scientists are able to do. Um, and then artificial intelligence, of course, you sort of already mm-hmm. mentioned this earlier. I mean, yep. that's the the more powerful computers get and the more powerful artificial intelligence gets, that just speeds everything up. You know, I mean, the machines are so much better at looking for patterns and finding patterns than humans are. So the better, you know, I mean, radiology will be transformed. I mean, it won't be long before you you go in and most of the radiology that's done is done by a computer and not by a person sitting in a really dark room, right? I mean, you'll, right, you'll, still, right, need right. Person, you'll still need the person to help talk to the patients and, and right. help them interpret things. And, you know, so doctors aren't going away. We shouldn't be scared of that. But but radiology really is on the cusp of a huge revolution right now. And so that's exciting because of AI. And I mean, but drug discovery, I mean, all these different things. I mean, AI is really biomarkers. So let's talk about biomarkers. That's another area that sure. I think is super interesting and important and something that actually that the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives is very interested in because mm-hmm. uh, for listeners who don't know, a biomarker is something that you can, it's something where you can take a look and see if the therapy has has had an impact or not. Like, how do we know? How do we know that inflammation has been reduced? Right? There's got to be a right. biomarker for inflammation, or how? Or, 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 can- Cancer is a good one. I I always think you know a, a tumor, right? Right. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, well, does, if a tumor shrinks, it's right. that it's getting better, and if it doesn't, it's not. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. That's sort of a biomarker. <laughs> right. Right. It's not the kind of biomarker that we you know. 
it's it's a pretty primitive biomarker. It'd be better if you right, could do right, right, right. Right. Be, oh, well, look, this, you know, this therapy is working on the heart or the kidney or whatever. And we, we know this because of yeah, X, Y, and Z. And so biomarkers are super important for anybody who's creating a therapy to see if their therapy is actually working. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of different groups around the world who are working on creating better biomarkers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people have already probably heard about methylation clocks, which are a sort of a biomarker, but there's other things that can be done and artificial intelligence is working into the biomarker development. So it all kind of does come together. Right. Uh, I think the last thing that comes to mind on this is also the brain. You know, I've, I've been watching this industry for more than 20 years. And the brain has always been sort of that last frontier that's been kind of dark and murky and hard to make progress in. And, you know, there's been some technical advances, optogenetics and brain organoid creations and other things that have happened in the brain space that are making progress in brain therapies more likely. I mean, it's going to probably take a lot longer than other things, but but there's optimism to be had on the brain front as well, which I think sure. is really important. Well, you know, the brain is, you know, probably the most difficult because it's the most, you know, personalized to, to each individual, right? Heart medicine can probably work on more people than a brain medicine just because, you know, everybody's brain kind of is different over time, right? Your brain develops in different ways and different neurons are, you know, attached in different ways. So, you know, that's probably my assumption there. Does that, does that seem reasonable? Well, the, yeah, the brain is very complex, right? Right, yeah, right. And, and so, yeah, I think there's there's a lot going on that we just don't understand. And, right. you know, at some point, those mysteries will be unraveled and and the technology to get us there is now available. And so sure. that's that's why it's, it's going to be a really big field. Sure. Well, I also want to just mention, you know, you talked about organoids and, and organ on a chip and growing organs to test drugs on, you know, you know this and our audience may know this also, but uh, one of our sponsors, the Methuselah Foundation is sponsoring a prize they're working on to create levels for organ on a chip systems to kind of mimic, you know, humans. So you, we can actually start developing, you know, you know, testing drugs that we develop on these chips, you know, kind of help save the lives of these animals, right? In some, in some instances, right? Uh, In case these drugs go wrong, but also, you know, lower drug development costs, right? Instead of having to breed a bunch of mice forever and just, you know, take a a little chip and and run the drug test through that and, you know, kind of also speed up the the, the results, right? So shout out to to that, to that effort. I just wanted to mention that, but, you know, I, I definitely agree with everything you said. There's, there's been so much money in, you know, cellular reprogramming. I mean, I think there's been, you know, like, even take Altos out of the picture. I think there's still been, you know, close to a billion other dollars or maybe half a billion. I don't know the number off the top of my head invested in other companies. Right. So I think that's yes. a very promising field too. It's, it's, it's very exciting to see, you know, that, that seems like kind of the biggest bang for your buck, but you know, there are all these other kind of, kind of industries that are hallmarks of aging that are being pursued. You know, or I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, kind of drugs working together. To, you know, I don't think it's going to be one one therapeutic area is going to you know be the magic pill, right? I think it's going to be a cocktail of things potentially. Plus, you know, people forget you're still going to have to you know live healthy and 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 you know be social and interact and you know eat right, right? You know, those things aren't also going to go away. So, but I'm very excited for the future too, and you know, I know you are, and that's why we kind of you know share this vision with A for Li. Yeah, so, I thought it was quite apropos that you started the podcast off by saying we should relax, throw off our shoes. And then I thought, well, that's that's great because, you know, being more relaxed is good for your longevity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the whole world, if everybody just took a chill pill, everybody would live a lot longer. That's what I believe. 
but yeah, no, well, yeah, you know, and that's, that's the, you know, for, for listeners out there also, we've been doing these live events, but these podcasts are a lot better in terms of being able to, you know, actually speak freely and kind of discuss what we want to discuss instead of, you know, having to fit a certain amount of questions and time and things like that. So uh, I'm glad we're doing this too, Sonia. I don't know about you, but I am. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the political stuff. Uh, you know, we are obviously A4LI, the Alliance for Longevity Initiative. We are a political advocacy organization, social and political advocacy organization. Our mission is to, you know, promote initiatives and legislation that you know, will actively improve healthy human lifespan, right? So, you know, let's talk about some of that kind of stuff. What's so, 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 so our initiatives, right? Let's talk about the caucus. So Sonia, yeah. What do you, please, if you could tell us what you think about, you know, the idea of the caucus, you know, the people we've kind of recruited so far, you know, if you want to kind of give our audience some information and then, you know, also discuss why we recruited them and, and you know, who, who else we're looking to bring on for this kind of political initiative. Right. Well, I'm so happy that we're putting, that we've put together a congressional caucus. It's important to have Congress members who are interested in this issue for so many different reasons, you know, just to make sure that our, our, our agenda moves forward. Because up until now, there's been no voice for longevity in Washington, D.C., and that really does need to change. So far, we've. I'm happy to report that Anna Eshoo, my congresswoman, uh, has joined the our congressional caucus on longevity. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We had we had a great conversation with her when we called her up to ask her to join. She's very interested in health, and so this was natural for her to want to get involved. And honestly, I think one of the the issues in Congress right now is just not enough people understand that they can go back further than just thinking about only thinking about something like Alzheimer's or only thinking about something like cancer. I mean, yes, we need to think about those things because they're very, very big problems for society, but you need to sort of dial back and go further and further back and say, well, why are these things happening in the first place? And Alzheimer's, cancer, diabetes, I mean, all of these things, heart disease are diseases of aging. And so if we can tackle aging. So that's what I mean by dialing it back, go tackle aging first, then we can push out the time um, and hopefully even cure at some point diseases like Alzheimer's and cancer and diabetes and, and heart disease. So, so Anna actually really understood and these things are near and dear to her heart. And so we had a great conversation with her. She joined very excited because she has so much knowledge of the political landscape and Washington DC. And so that's really great. And then Paul Tonko from New York, who is, yep. oh, yeah. he was your representative, wasn't he? No, no, no. So I'll, I'll share a little anecdote, I guess, a little story. So Paul, my grandmother used to be, worked for his campaign when he was a town councilman. They had a good relationship, but my grandmother had my father and raised the family. So got out of politics, right? But I, I knew this and I, I went to a fun, I, you know, an, an event for him and I, and I was like, hey, Representative Tonko, I'm Dylan. You know my grandma, Sue. You know her? And he's like, oh, yeah, I love Sue. So, so thank you, Grammy. You, you know, you, you gave the longevity community, you know, an extra five minutes with a, an important representative to talk about an important issue. So I'm giving my Grammy a shout out here. You're the best. But yeah, so Representative Tonko, you know, was the first person we, we got on board. And we actually have done a few, you know, photo ops with him. And he joined our podcast back in June. So yeah, that's that's exciting. And then I'll mention the last one. So we, we also got on uh, Dan Crenshaw on the Republican side. He's our first Republican who's agreed to join. 
He is from the Houston area and our uh, director, Paul Cherkuri, he is the VP of innovation at Rice University, which is in Dan's district. And Dan and him have a relationship because, you know, that, that is typical universities and, and representatives. So we, you know, uh, had, a, a, you know, a nice constituent conversation with him. And Dan is a very big fan of regenerative medicine in, in general, you know, just because of that's just an interest space of his. And so uh, he agreed to join the member, the, the caucus as a member too. So we're looking like we're putting together a nice little bipartisan initiative here, Sonia. Wouldn't you agree? I think it's starting to shape out that way, right? Absolutely. Uh, and by the way, I think Dan is a super cool guy. He's got a great background. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And, but it's, it's really great that we have both Democrats and Republicans and this is bipartisan. You know, I think say this to people every once in a while. I, I, I really think that longevity is one of the few issues that exists that there can be true bipartisan support on anymore. I mean, nobody wants to get sick. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're Republican or Democrat. I mean, being healthy it is nonpartisan. It's really right. important that that we all come together to make this this agenda move forward. Not only not only does no one want to get sick, you're going to get sick at some point in your life. There's you will. no matter what. <laughs> you can't, it's literally unavoidable. There's never been a human in in the history of time who's not gotten sick because they're got old. I mean, it's like a or right. you know advantage, right? So like it's it's happens to everybody and. We all should have at least some sort of, you know, level of care about this, right? Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. And that, you know, that, that's part of our mission here. We need to, you know, make this, you know, uh, an issue that people think about and care about and want a- answers on, right? We want well, and, not and just you know, I also think it's great. I also think it's great that young people like you, I mean, you're in your 20s. Young people like you are thinking about this because you realize that everybody does get sick. And, you know, yeah. I mean, maybe COVID really brought that into, into really strong view, but, you know, this is not an old person's issue. This is everybody's issue, including young people. Yeah, no, not exactly. Well, you I mean, people who are, you don't take care of your body at, at a younger age, right? You, you know, the people who, you know, unfortunately passed away from COVID at younger ages, you know, generally had, you know, compromised or maybe smoked a lot or had some sort of thing that maybe advanced their age in some way, right? So, you know, COVID really was an age-related disease. And, you know, if the if, if we if we want to, you know, not have the effects of COVID happen again in the next pandemic, we need to have a biologically younger, healthier population, right? So like that's the you know, that's what that's what I that's how I came into this whole field. You know, that's how I felt, right? You know, people who take, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself too. So like, you know, you know, I, I, I'm sure you agree with this too. If, you know, you know, being healthy is, you know, it's, it, it's, it's important in, in the, in the interim while we're waiting for these, you know, drugs and therapies to come online. But, you know, the good part about the, you know, the reality of the situation in my, in my you know, opinion is it's difficult to maintain a healthy lifestyle in, in the current, you know, way the world works. You can't, you know, not everybody can go cook themselves five-star meal with organic ingredients you know, three times a day, right? It's difficult that getting things on the go is very easy. So, you know, drugs and therapy is that, you know, kind of reverse the effects of, you know, the modern day lifestyle that we live, you know, are, are important, right? But, you know, it's important that people also stay healthy and, and kind of active in, in the interim. I'm sure you agree with that. I, that was a bit of a tangent, but I think we can kind of talk about some other things here now that we kind of got through the political side. You know, I think, I think one other question that I always think about is the geopolitical race here, right? You know, everything is is a competition between 
states. And, you know, I think a competition between states in the longevity space is a good thing. Uh, I mean, would you agree with that? And, you know, and furthermore, how do you see other countries kind of acting in the longevity space, you know, and then, and then how do you think the U.S. government should respond? You know, what, what should be the response of the U.S. to this longevity arms race, quote unquote? I mean, I'm not trying to start an arms race for anyone who <laughs> listens to this. You know, I'm trying, but, you know, but a competition in areas like life sciences is a good thing, right? You know, creating an, all the countries trying to create vaccines led to the best vaccine being distributed the, the most, right? So what are your thoughts, though, Sonia? I'm sorry. I'll stop talking here now. Well, it's always good to have competition because it spurs people to work a little harder and and try different different techniques. Yeah, there, it, the geopolitical question is an interesting one. It it matters a lot, and what people probably don't know, or maybe maybe they realize that they've never really thought about it very much before, is you know there's already a big difference between countries in terms of how long people live. So. There's the CIA fact, the CIA fact book online where you can, if you Google CIA fact book life expectancy, you can see all the countries ranked uh, in order of, you know, which country has the highest life expectancy, which country has the lowest life expectancy and everything in between. And so, you know, it would be great to be at the top of that list. The United States is not at the top of that list, by the way. No, no, no. Oh, not even close, actually. No. It's, it's embarrassing for a wealthy country to be so low. You know, the, a couple of years ago when I looked at it, it, the United States was at number 40. And today when I looked at it, it's at 46. <laughs> so we, yeah. we've dropped even further, probably due to COVID because we got, we got hit really hard. Well, COVID. Well, well, back to my point when I started rambling there a little bit, but it's also because, you know, these other countries have, uh, you know, healthier lifestyles, right? It is on Americans in the interim while these scientists are creating these drugs that are going to mitigate the effects of damage, you know, it's, it's on us to stay healthy, right? You know, the, the Japanese cuisine and lifestyle, you know, like we started, like you said, relax, right? We all need to take a chill pill. The lifestyle kind of also, uh, you know, I think it was the reason we, we weren't super high, but, uh, you know, an, another thing is, you know, the opioid, right? P uh, epidemic, yes. right? That, 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 yes. that hurts the life expectancy. So, you know, the, the, uh, the U.S. has issues, but, you know, I think a, a lot of them would be, you know, solved by creating, you know, a, a strong class of therapeutics. But yeah, well, so what I was going to say is that that's that's one way to measure it, and 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 it's just it's just good to know that you know there's already like if you look at it right now, Monaco's at the top at about ninety years. They have a life expect average life expectancy of ninety. That's great. That's crazy. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's a small country with right, its, right, right. So it makes sense. And if you look at the very bottom, the last country is Afghanistan right now at 53, which is better than what it used to be a few years ago, which it used to, Chad used to be down at with a life expectancy of 40, which was really, really bad. So it's now the lowest in the world is 53.5, which, you know, that's not really that great, but it's not great at all, actually, but better than, better than it was at 40. I guess all I'm saying here is that there's a big discrepancy in life expectancy depending on country right now. And that may grow in the future, mm -hmm. depending on what technologies are created and you know who they get distributed to. And the other way, the other way to look, and probably how you thought I was going to answer this question, is to look at well, who's leading the world in biomedical research, right? Right, right, right. So I think I think so in, from the geopolitical question, right? So, and if you go back to COVID, I, you know, I would venture that the Pfizer vaccine was sort of the best one and it was, you know, created by a Western country 
So, and Pfizer is a, well, it's a multinational corporation. So, but when it comes, when it comes to biomedical research, you know, I th- the U S is still, I think still in the lead. I mean, we're, we're still a country that attracts great scientists from all over the world. They want to come mm-hmm. live here. The best scientists, they, they want to be here. If you go mm-hmm. to, you know, I'm, I'm near Stanford. If I walk over to Stanford and talk to the professors there, there's usually like, they usually have a multitude of different accents because they're from all over the world. It's very international. <laughs> right, uh, right. And that's because the best and the brightest have come here. And that's what the American dream was, was supposedly all about, right? Like bringing, bringing together all these people to, um, to live their best life. And like you. Like, like me, I came from Canada, go. right? So in, in, in a place where there's freedom to be creative and, and happiness is celebrated, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And property rights, very important. <laughs> so you can, you can own the fruits of your labor after you, after you create it in the lab. Very important. Sure. Yep, yep, yep. But we can't, we shouldn't rest on our laurels because there's other countries that really want to catch up to us. You know, China is doing everything they can. And then there's there's hubs all over the place. I mean, Japan has a thriving biotech industry in the United Kingdom. And I mean, it's this the the health health extension agenda is truly a global agenda. And whatever country sort of corners the market on it is going to do so much better than other countries in the future. And so it really biomedical progress is tied really, really tightly to our economy and our future, future prosperity. So we really have to be careful about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I also go back to the COVID vaccine too. And I have two kind of thoughts. Well, one, you know, you know, the, the creation, you talked about, you know, the disparity between the lowest country and the highest country potentially growing. I see, you know, the development of longevity therapies, a benevolent power distributing them for free, like, you know, America did with the COVID vaccine in many countries to be a way to shrink that gap, right? If everybody has access to all of these awesome therapies, you know, and they're cheap, for example, you know, I mean, if, if metformin can truly be a transformative drug, it's only six cents a, a pop. That can be something that closes that gap. Not, you know, and the gap maybe won't, it won't, you know, maybe the top end will continue to, to grow, but it'll help shrink that gap, right? You know, if the, the access to cheap, effective gerotherapy is, is a good thing for health disparities, but also, You know, the other thing I think of is, you know, we we want benevolent powers to be the leaders in biotech, whether it's the U.S. or, you know, other countries that are generally freedom seeking and and, and peace loving. Right. It's important. You know, obviously, America kind of leads the leads the world, the, 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 the free world. You know, I think it is really important for not only politicians, but investors and and scientists to continue to come here, because, I mean, I always think about this, you know, I'm not, again, trying to start anything here, but, you know, potentially if China or Russia were to, you know, be the leader in the vaccine distribution, you know, area, right? If China distributed 140 million vaccines, the U.S. only distributed 30 million and 40 million of those Chinese vaccines went to Nigeria and the 10 million went to South Africa and 40 to Pakistan and 40 to Bangladesh. I mean, you know, what does that mean for, you know, not only uh, the U.S.'s national security, but global national security, right? It's like a the benevolent power versus, you know, potentially non-benevolent power kind of kind of process there in my mind. So, you know, the US, not only do we need to, you know, remain the leader in this, we also politicians, we need to re- remain benevolent and good in our intentions and true to the Americans' dream and spirit because, you know, that's what this is all about. We want, you know, good people doing good things for the world, not people who are in it for themselves or in it for any particular game. But I digress again, Sonia. Sorry, you're getting me all kind of kind of thinking now. <laughs> so let me ask you a few more questions here. 
So like to think about kind of hypotheticals, you know, what the future will look like, right? So this is a tough question and I've asked it before and I usually don't get the answer that I'm looking for because looking this far into the future is tough, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, Sonia, 2050 comes around, right? We go to the doctor. What, what does that look like? What are they, what are they doing? What technologies are involved? You know, what, what technologies are involved in day-to-day life? What do you think, you know, health looks like in 2050? Right. Well, when you go to your doctor, you might not be actually going anywhere, right? You might just be conversing with somebody remotely. And, and, you know, I think obviously monitoring, health monitoring will be so advanced by then and will be small. I mean, I think there's always been this idea this is what I'd like to see, by the way. I mean, it's it's hard to predict the future. You don't really know. Right, right, um, right, right. What's gonna, well, I think in general, you can say that health monitoring is going to get better and better and smaller and smaller and easier to use, right? Like sure, sure. That's, that's that's kind of a given. I'm, I'm pretty solid making that prediction. What types it will be and what it will look like and how it'll function, that's that's harder to predict because the entrepreneurs who are building it are building it now and it's you don't know what they're doing. But there was always this idea, this this is actually an idea from a lot, quite, it was quite some time ago, but this idea of a digital tattoo that mm-hmm. like mm. this little thin layer of, of something, of silicon or something that you just like put on your skin and it would be tiny and it would, it would monitor a whole bunch of things in your body, like, you know, blood pressure or hydration or, you know, heart rate and, you know, all of these things in like a, in a little sort of thing that's on your skin that doesn't, that you don't really notice. And I can imagine that you kind of just wake up in the morning and your, your device, whatever it is at that point, because it won't look like the iPhones today, Mm -hmm. um, whatever device is in your world will probably only tell you if something's wrong, right? You wake up, if you don't get any notices that something's wrong, you just assume that you're fine because all, Mm -hmm. all your, all of your vitals are being monitored and that's fine. But maybe one day you wake up and you get a, like a little alert saying, hey, your heart was beating irregularly last night. You should probably go get that checked out, right? Something like that. I can imagine a future like that. I think that's that's not crazy at all. That's that's in our future. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, I, I just got my aura ring, right? I mean, you know, it was, the, it was the Fitbit before on your arm and now it's a ring. And, well, you know, I mean, I think people are a little sheepish on implantables, but I mean, they're coming, right? I mean, I think the ability to track your health is, you know, just as important as actually creating these therapeutics, right? If you can prevent the heart attack or prevent the stroke, that also adds years to your life. So, you know, I'm very bullish on that, that whole, you know, I, so I can say for certain that will be a big part of it, right? Yeah, but, and uh, I think there's a lot of predictive stuff too. Like mm-hmm. this idea that your heart rate variability changes right before you're about to get sick. So like your heart rate variability can change before you even have any symptoms of being sick. Right. So like right, right, right. If, if you get that data and you're like, oh, wow, I must be about to get, you know, go eat a whole bunch of garlic and drink some lemon tea. And like, I don't know what else you would do, but, you know, things that maybe you could do to sort of ward off something before it happens. Right. Right. I, I'm, I'm just thinking back. I, that, that I, I, I got a video game back in 2020 called Cyberpunk. And so that some people might know of, and it was the one that it was the biggest flop ever, but it was supposed to be about what, like, it was like a video game in 2079. And one of the guys you play as has like an AI in his body that, you know, alerts him when he's like feeling sick and like, you know, the beginning intro part, but it's like supposed to like represent what they think life is going to be like in 2079. And I thought that was very cool and kind of like 
up to date with what like you know the modern thinking is because you know that th- that game didn't end up being very good but that was a great part of it they got that right um but yeah you know i, I mean I, I think you know the the ability you know not even just, you know, our phone already is able to kind of do this stuff right like the amount of steps you're able to take like even the most basic things and you know i think that's only going to get better and better i definitely agree with you but so another question i guess i have for you is like you know, surgery will always be a part of life, right? And I think, you know, this is kind of a curveball to some longevity people, but, you know, maybe you have some insight in this and I'm just thinking, you know, what what advances in like surgery do you see in coming up? Do you think, you know, there's any like kind of surgical, you know, techniques or, you know, any any maybe robotics that, that will help and in, in, in outcomes and in potential heart attacks or heart transplants, things like that? You know, what do you see in, in, in maybe in the robotics and surgical space that, 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 that will extend healthy human lifespan? Well, certainly robotics and AI continue to make surgeries better, right? I mean, the computers are, are the machines are better at all the precise movements than, the, than humans are. So to the extent that that continues, that will, that will definitely improve surgery. I also think that there's a lot of things surgery is used for today that in the future you won't use surgery for. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, like what? Do you have any? Examples. So when I was looking at tissue engineering, and I still look at tissue engineering because I think it's fascinating, and I would like to see more of it being done because I mm-hmm. I think if we can grow disease parts of us and replace them, that that really could help our with our health expense health extension. But I remember when I was talking to somebody who was working on uh, Doris Taylor actually, who was working on growing hearts in the lab. She said to me, she said, yes, she's like, we can grow a whole heart in the lab. And yes, you could imagine growing a whole heart, taking out someone's heart and replacing it with this new heart that you grew out of their own, out of their own cells. So, you know, it doesn't get rejected. She's like, but the surgery is really hard on your body. She's like, we've actually, what, what she decided to do instead, it was to turn it around and say, well, how can we do stem cell injections where we can just inject some cells into the heart and have the heart repair itself, yeah. right? How can we avoid the surgery by doing something else, right? Or, or, or you know, that like, like or, or, or we, but we're going back to, to, to foresight and, you know, the nanotech revolution, like that was, I, I remember right. being a big part of it, like nano robotics to, to help you with surgery from the inside without having to even cut you open. Right. But exactly. I, I don't hear, I don't hear a lot of talk about that, but I wish I want to encourage more, you know, engineers to think like that for, for the longevity purposes, because a lot of, you know, drug development is great, but, you know, if we really want to see a health extension, you know, people can't be going in and out of hospitals. People can't be getting surgeries. You know, surgeries are, are hurt yet, right? They're, they're cutting it open is a big deal. So, so I yeah. Also, so I also think there's a lot to be done with like ultrasound and other mm-hmm. technologies okay. that are available and if they're done in the right way can be used instead of surgeries as well. There's a lot of innovative ideas out there that are being tested and, you know, aren't quite there yet, but you know, they will be at some point. Right. Well, so let me ask you a question. So, so the, the, the 2020s are, do you think, what do you think the 2020s are the decade of, is the decade of biotechnology or the 2030s? Like when are, when, when are, when is biotech going to truly change our lives, you know, I mean, it, it already is, you know, incremental ways, but you know, when, when are we going to hit the uptick on the exponential curve? Is that going to be 2026? Is that going to be 2036? You know, when, 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 what's your prediction? I, I, like I said, I don't like to make predictions, but um, uh, g- given all the activity that I'm seeing in the biotech space on all these different fronts, I mean, I would be shocked 
if we didn't have some major transformative thing by at least the mid to late 2020s. It's coming and it's not that far away. It's just, the question is, is what will it be? And will it just be one thing or will it be this cascade of things? I mean, you know, because right. the thing about biology is so much of it is tied together. <laughs> there's there's always all these stories about how someone thought it, they were creating a drug for this and then it actually had a huge impact on that instead. And, right. or, you know, a tweak that happened here that did this and, you know, and that's the beauty and the fun of science, I guess. But yes, I, I can imagine we'll at least have one thing and it may turn out to be kind of a cascade of things. Sure. That, that's, that, that, that's my expectation too. And yeah, I, I you know, it, it is, you know, you see, uh, you know, if, uh, lifespan.io, I always check out there, they have like their pipeline thing that, uh, that tracks all of the companies and, you know, their different drugs in the pipeline and where they are in the process. And I mean, uh, there's a lot in phase, I mean, there's, most of them are in phase one, a lot, like a lot in phase two. And, you know, there, there's, I think one or two in phase three already. I think like it's, it's getting there. Like it's definitely within the next few years that we'll at least see these things come to market, you know, yes, but I think well, and Dylan, that's where our organization really comes to to play an, an important role is helping those innovators find a pathway to get their therapies approved sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, that's, that's really a bottleneck for society and it needs to be changed. And you know, what you, you, you know, and our listeners may know, probably don't, we're working on, on a white paper that will probably be released by the end of the year sometime, you know, maybe end of the year, early new year on our longevity medicine advanced therapy pathway that is supposed to be kind of an accelerator for longevity and aging biotechs. You know, one of the things we're looking to do is kind of, you know, define what a longevity biotech actually is for regulators to, you know, kind of use when they're you know, approving or, you know, denying a, an applicant. But also, you know, another thing I would like to see the FDA do, and like you said, you know, a lot, you know, people create things and then they turn out to be completely useful for something else. You know, an example of that is metformin. I mean, you know, metformin is extremely useful for diabetes, but it's also, you know, it seems to have an aging effect, right? Rapamycin was not definitely not invented for aging, but here we are testing it, you know, on dogs and checking if it's a, you know, an aging drug, right? So another thing I would love to see the FDA do is create some sort of incentive for companies, all companies who, and they're live, you know, live testing on animals to track aging data too, because, you know, I think we can find a lot of potential shots that we're missing just because we're not checking. Right. So I, I think that would be an interesting initiative. And, you know, I, that's actually the first time I've even mentioned this to anybody. I don't know if it's even feasible. We'll fi- we'll figure it out. But I think that would be an interesting enough concept too, because like you said, the more we do the more things that created, the better it is. I'm going to cut the little tiny part out here. I'm going to just make a note. But I rambled at the end there. But but uh, that was a good point there, I thought. I don't know. What the fuck is it here? Let's see. Uh, but yeah, okay. So, Sonia, we're almost out of time here. So, I, 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 But the, what I'd like to do is ask our guests to give our audience some hope for the future. You know, why should people be optimistic for the world in 10, 20 50 years, you know, what is your outlook on humanity? I'm, I'm assuming it's positive. I know it's positive, but tell the, tell, tell our audience why the world will be better than it is today uh, in the future. <laughs> oh, well, that's a tall order. <laughs> yes, I'm an optimist. And I guess that's mainly because I try to spend more of my time looking at innovations than, than listening to all the screaming on social media. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, like we've been discussing, 
a, there, there's going to be a lot of positive things happening in life sciences and bioscience, and which is going to increase human health. And being healthy in itself is good because if you're healthy, you have you you have the ability to go out and do things, right? You can mm-hmm. play with your kids. You can, um, you know, help your neighbors. You can go hiking. You can, you know, there's all these different. You can read a book. You know, if you're healthy, you can do all these things. And if you're sick, you don't feel like doing those things and and can't. But the other thing, from a societal level perspective, is that health equals wealth. The healthier our mm-hmm. population, wealthier our population will be. And the more resources we have, the more you know, the greater good will grow. And so uh, the future is looking good. I'm I'm very optimistic about that. And and hopefully we'll be healthy and around to see what it looks like. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I'm so optimistic, you know, that, that I want to see it through, you know, I'm sure humanity is, is on the right path here, you know, and I, I want to not only be around to see it, but, you know, try to help, try to help push us in the right direction. You know, I think, I think doing what we're doing, you know, I'm not going to pat ourselves on the back too hard, but you know, the longevity mission is a worthwhile mission, right? You know, we're trying to make people live in better health for longer so that they can do like, like you said, in, you know, enjoy with their children, you know, their children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, great, great grandchildren, you know, wouldn't it be right. nice to see, you know, how your family grows and who your, who, who your grandchildren's children are and all this stuff that is, you know, just not possible today. And, you know, I think d- disease and is a great motivator for greed and hatred. You know, I said this in an interview recently, but I'll say it again. You know, I, the rumors are that you know Putin has cancer, right? And that's kind of his, you know, reason for invading Ukraine now, right? Instead of looking for some sort of diplomatic uh, solution, right? You know, I think uh, disease and you know illness and the, the the thought of dying of something so horrible causes people to do irrational things, right? And so I think you know, like you said. Health is wealth, right? Not not just money wise, but you know, wealth and peace of mind, right? And peace of mind, right? and, and and joy and and relaxation, right? Like we still, as we said when we started this podcast, you know, if everybody just chilled, I think everybody might live a little longer. So on that note, Sonia, I think I think I think part of that, Dylan, also is mental health. And, absolutely, and and I think as we learn more about the brain and how to repair it we'll also learn more about how to better stabilize mental health and that will make things more positive in the future too. Absolutely. And so, you know, just to keep going, the, you know, something I always see, I'm sure you see this too, you know, part of the longevity dividend argument is part of longevity is is being socially active, right? Maintaining relationships. And I've personally seen this with my, with my grandfather, you know, he's lived to the age of 95 and he's been able to do that by, you know, being an active a friendly, outgoing person. And, you know, he's fortunate to be that way. But, you know, the, the more we can get people to be happy, the more we can understand mental health, the more we can understand happiness and how to, how to, how to generate it for, for, for a majority of people, the, the longer people will live and the, and the more, the more people will want to live longer. You know, there's a lot of people out there. If you look at Instagram or whatever, when you post something on about longevity, they'll say, Oh, I don't want to live that long. Oh, the world's not lo- worth living for that long, you know? And, and we want to change those mindsets. So I, I definitely agree with you. You know, the mental health aspect of this is huge. And I, I think Christian Angermeyer, I, I see him say that a lot. Now I've just been thinking of names. But anyways, Sonia, I think it's I think I think it's about time we wrap this up. Do you have anything else you want to say to the audience? 
No, they they should just well, I guess maybe they should go check out our our website a4li.org and yep. get involved with us. Please, yes, I will I will end this off also by saying please get involved, you know, your voices are important, they're more important than you think. You know, come join us what we're doing, sign up to be a longevity volunteer at a4li.org, uh, join our mailing list, keep in touch with what we're doing. So thank you guys and you know, I will we'll see you at the next podcast installation. Thank you, Sonia, for a wonderful conversation. If you have anybody you would like to see make an appearance on our podcast, you can send your suggestions to us at info at a4li.org. HSPAN will be back in two weeks, but until then, let's live long and prosper. Mm -hmm.